whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Because my only consolation once I got home was that we had these baby nurturers who occasionally went and visited and held the babies. And to know that they were there somehow was a consolation to me. Welcome to the Daily Authors Podcast, a daily podcast all about books and the authors who gave them life. Each episode, your host interviews a new brilliant author as they reveal inside information about their incredible books and inspiring lives. Now, here's your host, Aaron Gendel. Hey, Aaron Gendel here. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Daily Authors Podcast. It means so, so much to me. And maybe you've been thinking about writing a book of your own. And if so, do not wait. The world is hurting and needs your help. It needs your book. I would love to help you on your journey to write your book. So simply email me at Aaron at dailyauthors.com and I'd love to hear about your book idea. Now enjoy the show. All right. Thank you so much, April Jurgensen, for joining me on the Daily Authors Podcast. So excited to talk to you about your book, The Orphan's Abba, stories from orphan care that reveal God's love for you. Thanks again, April, for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me, Aaron. I'm really excited about it. Love your podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, April. Mm -hmm. And before we jump into your book, I was hoping to find out a little bit more about you. So maybe you could just tell the listeners about yourself, your work, and what you've got going on right now. All right. I grew up on a farm in Ohio, a cattle farm, and after meeting my husband, was transplanted to Indiana, where we now live. Lived in Russia for a couple of years. That's kind of an interesting, right after the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, Learned a lot from that experience, as you can probably imagine. And in our work now with orphans, we work specifically in India, Russia, and Kenya, and have had the opportunity to see a good bit of the globe. So we love travel, we love cultures, we love people, and... It's been an exciting ride. It really has. Sounds like it. Sounds like an amazing journey. Well, I know all the listeners will want to know a little bit more about your foundation and whatnot, but maybe we can just, it seems like it ties into your book. So let's jump into your book a little bit and talk about The Orphan's Abba and what, you know, maybe I talk a little bit about the title and what really inspired you to write this book. Okay. So Abba is the Hebrew name for daddy basically. And the concept comes from scripture in the Bible. Many times God refers to himself as the father of the fatherless. And in our work with orphans, I have seen time and again, the way that God loves us kind of in real life, up close and personal with the orphans that we work with. We have caregivers who take them in and treat them as their own children, who make sacrifices for them, who call them sons and daughters. And so those parallels are really what the book is about. It's just a collection of spiritual takeaways from these visits with orphans around the world. Wow. Incredible. Mm -hmm. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about, uh, how you you started you sounded like you you traveled to to Russia how did you get started with the foundation just curious we actually were doing something completely different we were working in the public school system when we lived in Russia but after i got home i got this phone call from a friend one day i had 
two toddlers at the time and I had put them down for naps and my phone rang and a friend of mine said, did you see that thing on 2020 last night about orphans in Russia? And I said, no, I hadn't seen it. And she described some of the scenes, talked about children rocking back and forth, banging their heads against crib railings and that kind of thing. Oh my goodness, that's horrible. And I hung up and went about my day. And then the next day, another friend called and said, April, did you see that thing a few nights ago? I think it was on 2020 about orphans in Russia. And I said, no, but Jennifer called me yesterday. And so this friend started talking about, you know, a scene where a mom dropped this little girl off and said she was a big girl now and it's time to go to kindergarten, but it was actually an orphanage and she never went back. And I listened and said, wow, that's terrible, and hung up and went about my day. But the third day in a row, my phone rang, and a friend said, did you see that thing a few nights ago? I think it was like (laughs) six minutes. And I said, do you mean 2020 about orphans? And she got really excited. She's like, you saw it. And I said, no, but this is the third phone call I've gotten. Wow. At that time, I was actually getting ready to go back to Russia to visit some friends, and people started walking up to me and handing me money and saying, when you get back to Russia, could you see to it that this gets to an orphanage? It was like, what is happening? Because I haven't said anything about any of this to anybody but my husband. Um, And then finally, just through reading scripture, as I mentioned earlier, God refers to himself a lot as the father of the fatherless. And I got to a verse in the book of James that says that religion that's pure and faultless is to look after widows and orphans in their distress. And when I read that, combined with those three phone calls that God had braided into my memory, I knew I was supposed to do something. So I was the least likely candidate. I don't have a degree in social work. I'm not a teacher. I'm not great with large groups of children. (laughs) I knew I was supposed to do something. So while I was in Russia, I really did some investigative work. In fact, when I boarded the plane to go to Russia, I had already spent a lot of the money people had given me on things that I imagined the kids could use. And Before the plane even took off, I discovered that the family seated in the row in front of me was returning to their work in an orphanage in Moscow. So about the time we hit cruising altitude, I leaned forward and I said, so did you guys by any chance see that thing a few weeks ago in 2020 (laughs) in Russia? And they said, oh, not only did we see it, but most of it was filmed in the orphanage where we were. For one thing, I was like... That not be coincidence, but I took advantage of that plane ride to pick their brains and learn everything I could. And and that whole trip was really trying to understand the system and what the kids need and where's the lack and what can we do about it. And it's been 20 years now of learning what those kids need and how to help them best. Wow. Amazing. Very cool stuff. I mean, definitely seems to be destiny and uh, what what God would have wanted you to do. So kudos for you for following through. I know that's not always easy. Thank you. I I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I have four kids of myself, so I'm I'm sure it's um, a joy to see smiles on their faces. Absolutely. 
Well, let's talk a little bit more about your book. You mentioned some of the stories that are in it and wondered if there was any particular story section or chapter mm-hmm. of the book that stands out you'd um, feel the listener might get the most out of today. That's a great question. I think probably the story that has changed my life the most is probably the one that carries the most weight. And that is, I was in the Russian Far East. One time I had taken a team to visit the orphans that we work with. And when we had finished most of what we were doing in the one orphanage, we had another day left before we needed to come back to the States. And we decided that we would just go shadow our baby nurturers. So we have we hire a team that goes in and just they hold babies and play with them and feed them and give them all that stimulation they need in order to thrive. And that particular day they were working not in an orphanage, but in a hospital, because if a baby's abandoned at birth, it's oftentimes for a health reason or something like that. It takes six to nine months for the paperwork to be finished for them to be transferred to an orphanage. So we were going to go in this hospital and just hold babies for the day, which sounded wonderful. But when we got there, I couldn't find any hospital staff anywhere on the wing. And the wing has four rooms on it. And the children at the furthest end from the nurse's station are the healthiest. And the ones closest to the nurse's station have the most significant issues. And they don't typically allow foreigners in that room. So I got the rest of the team set up and holding babies in those first three rooms. And I decided I would help myself to the children in the room we're not allowed to go into because I could always pretend I didn't know I was supposed to be there. I walked inside the door and just turned to the child in that first bassinet and shooed away the flies and picked him up. And he was so teeny tiny fresh. And I figured his mom was still somewhere there in the hospital because Russian women stay in the hospital a lot longer than American women do. And he was just so little. And so I was holding him and bouncing and talking to him in that high-pitched voice we reserve for babies. And I looked at the little card above the bassinet and he hadn't been named yet. So I thought, proof of my theory, he's super young. But then I looked at the date And I started to, I was thinking, am I confused? Because Russia, like a lot of the world, writes their dates opposite from how we do in America. And going back and forth in my head, like, am I doing this right? (laughs) And about that time, a nurse walked in to weigh another baby and didn't kick me out, which was the first surprise. But I asked her about the date. I said, am I reading this right? And she said, yes, he was born in October which meant he was five months old. Wow. At that point, I knew something very serious was wrong. And she said that he had been born with a heart defect that had he been born in the States would have been fixed at birth. But she just kind of shrugged. This is, or- this is Russia and he's an orphan. So they had been feeding him through an IV, but his veins kept collapsing. And they finally were on the last vein in his skull or, you know, in his head. And she said, when that one collapses, and then she, she just shrugged, and then she put the other baby down and grabbed a file and walked out of the room. And I just stood there totally stunned. Wow. And this baby realizing that he didn't have long to live, and that 
he was going to die without having ever gone outside to feel the sunshine or a breeze. Like he had known nothing but data collection and pinpricks. So I stood there and held him and rocked him and sang to him and prayed over him and told him it was okay because Jesus knew his name and he was going to be with him soon. And normally I going with the baby nurtures, I hold a baby for just a little while and put them down and then go around, make sure everybody gets a turn. But I could not pry this child out of my arms. And finally, one of the teammates came and stuck his head in the door and he said, aren't we supposed to be gone by now? And I realized we had overstayed our time slot at the hospital. So I finally put the baby down and came home and I just couldn't get back into my own routines. Like I could not shake the thought of this baby. And I was wondering if he was dead or alive. I was wondering if I could get back to him in time to hold him again. If I did, could they, would I even get back into that room and whatnot? And finally I thought I'm like slipping into actual clinical depression because I can't, I'm not functioning. Hmm. And I happened to flip through my journal and I saw where I had written just prior to that trip. I had asked God to help me feel him. And I wrote that because I'm a very logical person and I wanted more of an emotional connection with God, not just to know about him and study the Greek roots of words, but to know his heart. And I realized when I read that, that God had done exactly that, because when he sees these children in their suffering, it breaks his heart even more than my heart was breaking over this child. So it brought to my mind the passage where Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Because my only consolation once I got home was that we had these baby nurturers who occasionally went and visited and held the babies. And to know that they were there somehow was a consolation to me. And so that experience taught me that when we care for the underprivileged, when we hug a child, when we defend someone who needs it, we're actually applying salve to the heart of the creator God. And that just blows my mind that little old me, I could do anything to minister to his heart. But I believe it's true. And that has really been it became my motivation for everything I do. Wow. Incredible story, April. Thank you so much for sharing it. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to make sure the listeners really captured the heart of your book and wanted to ask you if there was one thing that they could take away from reading it, um, what would that be? That they are loved. I think one of the reasons that people are interested in my work is that at some level, we can all identify with the words that we use to describe an orphan. We hurt because we know what, we remember what it means to be a child, that vulnerability and that loneliness and the fact that they're forced to kind of defend for themselves when they're not equipped to do that. And I think in a spiritual sense, that's who we all are until we kind of give consent to our adoption. If you will, I believe that God wants to adopt each and every one of us as his own child and to become our defender and our resource and our provider. And it's up to us to make that decision. But I think if I could boil the book down into one sentence, it's that you are loved with an extremely lavish 
love and it's there for the taking. Beautiful. Thank you, April. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you, if you don't mind. I wondered if you might share um, some insights into who and what has influenced you. Obviously, you've been on an incredible journey with uh, your work and wondered if there was anything else that uh, you might want to share around uh, the people or places, things that have happened to you that, that have influenced you the most to be who you are today to um, be doing the work you are and write a book. Wow. There would be a really long list. <laughs> Absolutely near the top would be my parents who raised me in a very open kind of home situation. We, there were always extra people at our dinner table. We often had a teenage runaway or Vietnamese refugees or somebody, a victim of domestic violence. They're just, our house was always full of extra people, mm, if wow. you will. I think that expanded my view of, of family and certainly adoption. The mentor that Jim and I had when we were living in Russia from a work perspective was the most incredible gift because his knowledge and understanding of cross-cultural work has, it affects everything we do to this day. And that was in the early 90s. Um, and I think really my childhood was full of people who had been adopted, including my own brother. And then my husband was adopted. So I see that whole picture of adoption has also certainly come into play. From a writing perspective, I had a phenomenal high school English teacher. She was blind. And she taught me so much about writing because we were communicating things to someone who had never seen them for herself. And so to describe the sunshine as warm yellow, or I should say to describe yellow as warm sunshine, those kinds of things, I really do believe influenced me far beyond high school. That's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, obviously had some incredible influences and thank you again for sharing them with us. Let's talk a little bit about failure. If you don't mind, I, I know that what we might consider failure is sometimes our biggest teachers. And I, I wondered if there was any particular event in your life that you might consider a failure that you learned from, um, that you feel inspired to share with us today, April. That's interesting. I don't know if I would pinpoint one act of failure as much as a pattern that I continue to work on. And that is, I can tend to be just enough of a people pleaser that I can allow voices and influence in my life that are not constructive or productive. And I have I have seen that impact create a failure in, in a manner of speaking where I've given people too much of a voice in my life. I guess I would word it that way. Yeah. And learning how to set those boundaries so that the organization cannot be affected by that. You know, I was told from the beginning, don't start another nonprofit. The last thing the world needs is another nonprofit. And 
So at different steps along the way, those same kind of voices have said things like, oh, that's not doable. You can't take on a campaign of that size when your organization only has this much depth or that kind of thing. And that negativity can influence in ways that I don't think are productive. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I, think, I think every word of advice needs to be weighed but it doesn't need to be taken to heart. Yeah, <laughs> and so absolutely. you have the conviction that, you know, especially when the motivation is to help someone, um, you gotta, you gotta just go for it and, and expect God to show up. Yeah. It's a great lesson for us all. I think uh, we all have those voices that'll stop us in our tracks sometimes before we get started. So thank you for sharing that in, those words of encouragement with us. Well, I love quotes, April. I wondered if there was one that inspires you often, something that maybe you're even inspired at this moment to share with us today. You know, I, I hesitated at first to say this as a, a quote because I'm not trying to harp, but honestly, my very favorite comes from the Bible, from the book of Proverbs. It's chapter three, verses five and six. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I love that verse, first of all, because it's very challenging for me. I don't do it naturally. But secondly, because time and again, my life has proven it to be true. So as much as I can keep it in front of me, and it kind of gets back to what I was just saying. I can't lean on my own understanding. I can't always look at things from a logical perspective, the way my brain is wired to naturally do. I have to trust that it's not all up to me and expect bigger things than I'm capable of. Absolutely. Well, great quote. Thank you for sharing it with us. Well, I wondered if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about the book writing process. I know you you mentioned your English teacher had great influence on you, but also just wondered if there was anything that you learned along the way that that's really helped you and that might help any other aspiring authors who are interested in writing a book. I think my experience may be a little bit unique in that I didn't go into the experience thinking, I want to write a book. I want to be an author. Now, my degree is in writing. And so you would think that that would my desire. But I have found that writing comes in hand quite a bit with raising funds and all of the things that I do. We have a blog for the Boaz Project and whatnot. But I got to the point where I felt like I had been entrusted with stories that needed to be told. Yeah. And so... I decided, okay, it's time to put these on paper. And so I did it more out of obedience, I guess I would say, than out of a desire just to write a book. But once I did, you know, I'm far from the bestsellers list. It's not been that kind of experience. And yet the emails, the phone calls that I've gotten from people saying, I just sat on a plane sobbing all the way to Turkey because I read your book. I think for me, I would want other authors to know that if you have a story to tell, 
don't get so hung up in the mechanics or the fearful parts because it is, it's a big job, but just trust that the message itself is important and that your success as a writer should not be measured in dollar signs or copies sold as much as the impact it makes. Yeah, that's a great message. Definitely one that was on my mind when I wrote my book and yeah, just talked about an experience that I had that could potentially help others. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of why we're here on this planet. So, (laughs) yes. And you know, everybody has a message. So as long as your goal in writing that is to help somebody else, then you need to follow through. Absolutely. Well, great tips. I wondered also if you might share a little bit about writer's block and if that was something you experienced while writing your book, and if so, what helped you through it? This is another area where I think I was blessed to be a little bit different from a lot of people because I do a lot of speaking on behalf of the organization. And so I had multiple messages already, at least in outline or bullet form. And it was really nice for me to go and pull those up and then flush them out. That kept me from ever being at a complete impasse. Like I have no idea what to write. Right. Yeah. A lot of fodder for, you know, each message became a chapter. And then I had somebody else speak in the kind of the order in which we put it together. But yeah, that so that organization that you already had prepared you to be less uh, blocked, I guess you might yes. say. Yes. Awesome. Well, I th- still think that's great advice for anybody. Um, just that upfront preparation really helps. Absolutely. And to, to put together the proposal, whether you plan to work through a traditional publishing company or not, I think it's vital just to have, to go through that process and know not only how the book is going to be organized, because it does help when it comes to writer's block, but also what your goal is what's that final takeaway you want the reader to come come away with? Not only because you want to be sure that the book is accomplishing that, but also I think that helps with writer's block because that's your piece of motivation. Yeah, good stuff. Well, April, we're coming to an end here and wanted to make sure I didn't forget anything. So if there's anything else at all you'd like to share and or uh, if there was a question that you would ask yourself if you were in my shoes, what would that be? I don't know what question I would ask myself, but I sincerely, I'm not just sucking up here. I sincerely would encourage people just to keep listening to the podcast because having listened to some of it, I love the encouragement and the practicality. And I feel like for anybody who's listening, who's trying to get the hard work, the discipline of writing a book out there, this can go a long way to helping with that. So I would definitely encourage that. Oh, I appreciate that so much, April. Thank you for those kind words. Absolutely. Well, let's make sure everybody knows where to connect with you. And so if you could share where they could find you online and maybe a little bit more about what you're up to next. There are two places to find me online. In terms of the Boaz Project and our work with orphans around the globe, you can find us at... Boaz Project, that's B as in boy, O-A-Z as in zebra, project.org. And then 
My website for my book and for speaking is April Jurgensen. That's April like the month, J-U-R-G-E-N-S-E-N.com. And as for what's up next, we're in the process of a large building campaign in Kenya. We're going to build a three-story apartment building that will house children in individual family units. And we're hoping to break ground later this month. Wow. We're in Kenya on the 26th. Who thought that was a good idea? I don't know. <laughs> the plane fares a lot cheaper than any time else around the holidays. So <laughs> day after Christmas. And I'm really excited because the village that we're working in has no homes for girls who are orphaned. And so authorities literally put them on the street. But this wow. building provides not only a place for girls, but family units so they can stay with their siblings if they have brothers. These kids have lost so much. It's terrible that we divide them from each other. So I'm excited about that. Well, wow, sounds incredible. Just keep up the amazing work, April. It, it sounds like uh, it's obviously really needed. So thank you for doing it. And I really appreciate you sharing your story and your book uh, with us today on the Data Authors Podcast. And all the best. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was great to talk with you. Thanks for listening to the Daily Authors Podcast. Be sure to visit dailyauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.